Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to the InsideCarolina.com podcast. It is Sunday. It is the day after. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the day after brings an expert panel, myself not included, of Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. Carolina beats Duke um, like a drum, and I predestined outcome made for a little bit of a boring game, Buck, in my eyes, but there were some positives. How did you see the game shaping up yesterday? Well, I think we've gotten a little spoiled over the last few years with the Duke games. You know, you had the dramatic Surratt interception, the uh, kill their win streak there at the very end of the game and other fireworks uh, in previous games in previous years. So this one was kind of took a normal course. I, I, I did think that uh, how much you could take away from, it, from this going forward is anybody's guess, but I do think that the defense played um, more like I expected them to play at the beginning of the year. Um, we're, we're seeing, I think some of the fruits of, um, increased talent on that side of the ball and, uh, getting better results as a result of it. So, uh, I think the defense, uh, because Duke up to this point, they were averaging like 550 points a game. They were averaging about 250, 550 yards a game. Sorry. Um, and you know, they were averaging about 250 yards a game rushing. Um, so North Carolina to sort of, uh, cut all that production in half, um, although they, they have been playing our sisters of the poor so far this year, um, still that, that there's how they got to three and one was on the offensive side of the ball, their defense sucked the entire year so far and North Carolina's offense didn't really show out against their defense so much. So it was unusual in that regard. Yeah, Jason, watching this game, this is how folks or this is how Carolina fans have always expected the Duke-Carolina rivalry to be, right? Just a, a sleepwalk Carolina dominant win over the Blue Devils. Um, and it never game, is. And it never is. And Carolina fans expect it. And I still, still cannot get over how that game ended in 2019. I Still, I, if I hadn't seen it with my own two eyes and I'm seeing the replay, I never would have believed that that outcome happened. And then you flash forward to this year, Carolina's on an upward trajectory. David Cutcliffe's probably um, in his swan song at some point. He's got to be at Duke. But, Jason, let's talk positives and negatives. What positives did you see for Carolina come out of this win yesterday? I think one thing was – just watching them sort of figure some things out on the fly. I mean, I thought early on 
they didn't play the run all that well. They, they, they had a few misfits early on against some things that Duke does in the running game and gave up some big plays, but they also typically ran those plays down where you could see some of the athleticism. But the other thing is that they, but the, the positive is that they, they quickly made those adjustments and really shut Duke down for the rest of the game. So again, just seeing that growth of, okay, had some misfits, had, had a few plays that, that busted. All right, now lockdown and things were over. And, and I think that that was a big plus. I think also on the, on the, <laughs> on the passing side, uh, they, you know, they were able to handle their business and, and even though they weren't able to run it on, on them early, the way that I thought they might be able to, cause Duke was able to, uh, to load the box, they were able to get some rhythm in the, in the quick passing game and, and make, make some plays there. Uh, as far as negatives, I thought the fact that they did struggle as much on offense as they did uh, and, and the fact that they continued to have some trouble getting the ball out quickly until they did get a little bit of rhythm was a bit of an issue. So, uh, you know, they, they had to stretch to, to some other things. And, and I think the offensive side of the ball remains a real question mark at this point in the season. And that's not something I think most of us expected at this point in the year. Yeah, I agree with that, Buck. Uh, a couple things that I did like on it. First, Josh Downs is ridiculous. I mean, it, we can either never have to talk about him again on this podcast because it's just going to be You, you know, Tommy, let me break in for a second. I, I remember, well, I think it might have been like our uh, season preview of this podcast when we were talking about all this. And uh, Jason said, well, Josh Downs is going to be better than Daz Newsom was last year and, and both <laughs> and both of us just kind of batted our eyes at that like you come on jason like, you know i've been on the josh downs don't train, get out man. over your don't get out over your skis you know well, both of us felt that way this is before any games were played but some of the plays that he's made so far this year are just ridiculous that that catch and run for the touchdown there i mean you know he he barely um, gets the ball, you know, he flips around to make the catch somehow. And he's still like 10 yards. I mean, there's probably seven or eight Duke defenders between him and the end zone. And, and he just runs around and through them all to get to get there. Some of that kind of stuff is just, I don't think I've ever seen a receiver be able to do that at North Carolina before any of them really be honest. I agree with that statement there. I mean, he catches that ball. He's going to the sideline. He can just step out of bounds and you get a nice, what, 20 yard gain. And he flips his hips and nobody touches him. And as he weaves through and, and that's the thing, it's it's like every single game, he has a wow factor. The wow factor here today or yesterday was that he dropped a couple of balls, which he doesn't usually do. And, and it's just he's special talent, and I, I had twelve fifty over twelve fifty in the preseason. I will uh, move all the chips in on that. Um, over he's going to get that in a regular season. Man. Yeah, I mean he is, and I a couple of shows ago on on the beat live, I pushed it up to fifteen hundred. I mean he's just a special, special. He's going to spoil a lot of people, right? A lot of Carolina fans uh, when Josh Downs moves on are going to realize i think at that point how good this guy is but the one play in the passing game buck that i really liked and i cannot believe we haven't seen more of it was to ty chandler 
wheel route and the touchdown. I mean, that absolutely. That's if, of us have been calling for that since well before the season. <laughs> and yeah. if, if my memory serves, um, we discussed that's Chandler's bread and butter is catching the ball out of the backfield. But that, that play right there, if I said it was a boring game, that play there made me perk up and say, oh, oh, this offense could actually do that. And I think if they can do that consistently, it sort of changes the game. But your thoughts on that play specifically, Buck? A lot of things came together on that play. In fact, it's probably the best uh, down that the entire offensive line had for the game. They, the offensive line played that uh, snap perfectly. So there's that. And then he had the tight end, I think Morales, out in front of him blocking it. Um, and so it, it was almost like unstopped from the, from the get-go. To, um, I think a couple of the offensive linemen may have all, uh, actually gotten pancake blocks on that play. So it was their, their best snap. You had to tie it in out in front, and really it was just an easy you know, throw and catch uh, to Ty Chandler, and he's gone 75 yards, and you know, he's got – hardly even touched the whole way. So yeah, great play there and great execution. We've been talking about execution all year, but, um, you know, they, they executed that play perfectly. The entire offense did. And who threw the little, um, little get in the way block to make sure the Duke guy had no shot. Um, but number 11, Josh Downs, Jason, the running yeah. game, the running game still, uh, I mean, Sam Howe got beat up a little bit. I'm looking at the stat sheet. He had uh, 36 yards of loss rushing. So, of course, that goes into Carolina's rushing stats. But 135 yards uh, total, 3.6. That That's just – Carolina's got to figure this out. What did you see and what could be coming for some uh, breakdowns this week from you on this rushing attack? Because 135 a game – is not going to get it the way this schedule ramps up here in the next few weeks. First of all, before we go, I do want to give more credit also to some folks on that long Josh, Josh Downs touchdown, which was ridiculous, but look at the downfield blocking. I think you had Garrett Walston make a big block there, and uh, I think it was Antoine, Antoine Green that made another big block there that made it look easy. But, uh, you know, Downs, by the way, just making guys look like he's playing with the JV team. I mean, it's just crazy on that. Um, but yeah, when we go to the, uh, to the running game, it's frustrating to watch because you're just there. There's not, you know, a, a healthy running game has a lot of it. Running game in general has a lot of moving parts. You have to have multiple players doing their job all in sync, starting with the offensive line then working to the running back, working in sync with his offensive line and, and also H-backs and everybody else that's blocking to get all of that to work as though it's a seamless whole. And right now there's just no continuity that Carolina has in terms of what you're seeing up front and what you're seeing with the running backs and everybody else. It just, it, nothing looks like it's actually working smoothly for them they're giving up too and, much penetration and it helps it helps a lot to have a couple of elite running backs as well well yeah it, and what it, makes it, those it, guys yes. elite is that they do make their offensive line look better right they get in sync with their guys 
And I, I was looking at it just uh, briefly. I'll get out of your way here, but uh, I was looking at it last year. Uh, Sam Howell got sacked once last year, and the running backs ran for 350, and North Carolina had five rushing touchdowns. And, and Sam Howell wasn't hardly touched last year by Duke or anybody else that he didn't want to get touched by. Um, so if he just hold the ball too long or what have you, but that's the difference, right? I mean, you, you had Michael Carter and Javante Williams running the ball for three fifty and five. Well, how the exact one, same group of offensive linemen, exact same group of offensive linemen. And, and one of those, uh, touchdowns was by how, so four by the tailbacks, four rushing touchdowns, three by Javante, one by Michael and. You know, when you've got that, the defense just, they just can't, uh, they can't defend you like Duke to try to defend North Carolina yesterday, right? Because that's not going to work. It's not going to work for them to try to, you know, uh, shut down the running game because you're not shutting down Michael Carter and Javante Williams. It's just not happening. Not for Duke, you know, some other teams might can pull it off like Notre Dame or Texas A&M, but not Duke. So, I mean, I'll get out of your way now and let you get back to it, Jason. But, you know, that's to me is the big difference. You've got a couple of elite talents back there that you're rotating in and out. And, you know, you, by the time you get to the third quarter, you've got infamous business decisions being made by the defense and, and nobody in who in North Carolina's backfield this year is making anybody make any business decisions who is saying, I, you know, I'm just not wanting to tackle that guy, you know, it's, it's not happening. Um, so that's where we are now. What, what can UNC do about it? I have no clue, but. That, that's where UNC's offense is right now. And this is the ugly portion of the podcast. We have the good, the bad, the ugly. This is ugly. And, Jason, I want you to go all in on this because I, I do think that the key point just made right there, it is the same group of offensive linemen. I mean, it, it, can't, it cannot all be on just the talent at running back. It can't. There's no way it's just well, It's that. not a matter of talent, though. See, it's not talent necessarily. I mean, in, well, I guess if you if you count vision and, and some of those things as talent, then sure. But they have, the, they have, they have athletes at, at running back. What they haven't gotten is the level of vision and syncing up with the offensive line that you had with the other two. And, you know, honestly – if, if, if I were a, an NFL evaluator, I would have uh, Chandler, I would, I would have a note on his file that would say he's a better fit for, for wide receiver. I think he's actually, he's actually a wide receiver playing running back uh, that, you know, he, he catches a ball like a receiver essentially. And he's got long speed, like, like a receiver. He's just a big receiver. But the problem is you've got him playing running back right now. And he does not, to me, have the instincts of a top-end running back. So that's, a, that's an issue. Um, I think one of, the, one of the things that I would be looking very closely at if I, were, if I were North Carolina is considering moving much more to just straight gap blocking when, when Chandler's in the game. 
So that's your, your power, your counter, things like that as the, as the, as the base, rather than going with a base of zone. And they, they, they really are a base inside zone team as the primary run play. Uh, but I think with this, with this group of running backs, I think Caleb hood has shown that he can do it. DJ Jones has shown that he's, he's a little bit more capable in the zone game. Uh, but even there, it's not really syncing up as well. And I think they're struggling on the zone game. And that's, that's where a lot of this is coming, coming into problems. I think they need to probably have a Zudu at, at guard more often and run more, uh, more power and more, more counter where you're getting some double teams at the point of attack and the running back is basically just running to a spot. The thing about gap blocking is that there's less reading from the running back. There's essentially one, one quick read of, is there a the decision there, out of his hands? In other words, right? Yeah. So it's basically just get moving North South and try to get some vertical displacement with the, with the, uh, with the offensive line and get him, you know, get Chandler moving north south, running in a straight line, and then if uh, if they do close down that initial gap, it's just a quick bounce to the same side. But I feel like they're not just watching them; they're they're not really getting the getting in sync with the with the zone blocking as well. And I, I think you know, basically every team in the country, or very nearly every team in the country, runs inside zone as their base. I mean, you have to have it. You have to be able to run it. But I think they've got to find some solutions to be a little more creative in the running game with the group that they have right now uh, to give them to basically put the offensive line on tracks to say, OK, you're going to double team here. You're going to pull and you're on a track. Whoever meets you in your track, you hit. And then the running back, there's your gap and do some of that stuff with this group, because I don't, I don't see a whole lot of growth yet on the, uh, on, on some of the zone stuff where you're, the design is basically get a hat on a hat, move, you know, get a little bit of movement horizontally and then let the back burst. I'm just not seeing that. And they'll either need to really get to the place where that suddenly just clicks and improves in practice, or I think they're going to have to find some ways to be a little more creative in, in finding a running game that better suits their personnel. And I think if, if Caleb hood gets healthy, you know, maybe, maybe you start giving him some more opportunities because I think he's shown some instincts there. He's shown some potential there, but, uh, but that's, I mean, I don't think there are easy answers. That's just a, a proposal on my end of, you know, maybe that's a part of the solution to try to do more of that and to get a little more creative with some of those things, um, you know, running, I think you might have to run some bash. So back away from the, from the run and then have the quarterback actually as the inside runner. I mean, that's what Clemson has done and some, and Ohio state have, have done when they've had some trouble running the football in more traditional fashion. And of course, Sam Howell then is going to take more, more shots. So, I mean, I, I just don't know that there's an easy, easy answer to this in terms of, of what you're doing other than, getting the quarterback more involved in the inside run game, getting the running backs running on the edge and then doing some more, uh, doing some more power and counter as, as your default stuff. But when they're, when they're running power and counter, Azudu needs to be one of the pullers, especially when they're going to the right side, because they've had some trouble with other guys getting, getting there quickly enough. So it's uh it's, it's not ideal. 
It is certainly um, something to watch because, like I mentioned earlier, the schedule ramps up here um, in the coming weeks, and so they have to figure out. Let me take a short break. We'll come back and talk about defense a little bit. Carolina beats Duke. This is the day after podcast, and, of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. I saw a lot of Johnny T-Shirt gear in Chapel Hill this weekend. Um, A lot of folks sporting stuff and supporting them and supporting Inside Carolina in the process, and you get – 10% 10% off your order if you're a premium subscriber. And let me tell you why premium subscriptions are necessary. Film breakdowns by Jason Staples. Buck Sanders, Buck Stops Here column every day. All the recruiting stuff you could possibly ever want. Big day in recruiting in Chapel Hill this past or yesterday or on Saturday. So you got a lot going on that makes the premium subscription worth it. And as a nugget, you get 10% off your order from Johnny T-Shirt. They look after us, look after them. Do it now get online and order whatever you need for next week in chapel hill day after we'll take a short break let national guys pay the bills we'll be right back here with buck sanders jason staples i am tommy ashley hey guys this is ross martin from inside carolina i want to talk to you about inside carolina's new podcast sponsor it's blue shark vodka blue shark vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of wilmington and wrightsville north carolina it's available in all 100 counties and the thing about blue shark vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and it eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light, it's smooth, and it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned, and it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, boys, we're back. It is the day after Carolina 38, Duke 7. Um, Save for a couple plays by Mateo Durant and... Uh, the long 80-yard play. Buck, I thought the defense looked pretty good. Mac was really high on the defense and the postgame pressers. Let's sort of dig into it a little bit. Was the defense better or is Duke just bad? And, and I'm, I'll be remiss if I don't mention Pittsburgh just molly Georgia Tech, a defense that gave Carolina all sorts of trouble. But anyway, I, I digress, Buck. Carolina's defense against Duke, was it good? Well, before I get to that, let me comment on the Pittsburgh situation. And um, I've had this conversation many, many times with a lot of different people, but quite often when you see that uh, score like in the Pittsburgh versus Georgia Tech game, uh, it's the matchups that make the difference um, between how North Carolina performed against that defense and how Pittsburgh performed against it. A lot of times it's the matchups that matter. 
haven't broken that game down, but uh, my guess is that's part of what's happening there. Uh, as far as uh, whether North Carolina's defense was better or whether uh, Deuce just not very good, uh, the one thing you can look at is that to the extent that Duke was any good this year, it was only good on one side of the ball on offense. That's the only place it was decent at. They had uh, Holmberg, their quarterback, is not a bad QB. He's limited, but uh, he, he's not a horrible quarterback. He's not what they had last year. Um, uh, Jake Bobo, I guess, is in his 12th year there at Duke. Uh, uh, he's another weapon uh, for them. Durant, also a good weapon. Um, I think they had four or five of their offensive line back as well. So they had a lot of people back from last year. The only real uh, strength of that Duke team was this offense. And for North Carolina to play them as they did defensively is a good sign. It doesn't mean that they're home free, but uh, we saw some good things. Like um, I thought Cedric Gray at linebacker, his lateral uh, quickness um, was a help to the, uh, to the defense. Miles Murphy is just a stud. Um, uh, if he, if he doesn't come in for some postseason honors in the ACC, I, I don't know what to tell you because every game he's, he's making plays and being a problem, um, on the defensive line for opposing offenses. Um, I think the, the secondary played a little better last yesterday. It was, may have been one of their better games. Um, and so overall, I think the defense just played well. It's good to see some of the younger players, um, you know, get, get some run. And I looked at the uh, snap counts from a year ago against Duke, and I think they had six defensive linemen get some snaps. And, and I think a couple of those guys had less and had single digits out of that six. And this year they had nine guys get uh, snaps at, uh, on the defensive line. And I, I, th I don't think anybody had more than like 31 or so on the defensive line. Um, and, and that's a lot different than the uh, uh, Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge days when they got 60 snaps a piece on the defensive line. So that not only helps you against Duke, but it helps you down the road uh, in, f in future contests. They're not as going to have as much uh, – wear on their tires uh when we get to the eighth and ninth and tenth games of this season they're going to be a lot fresher than uh previous north carolina uh defenses that we've seen you know in the last three four years so all those things are positive what they can can they take this defensive performance and build on it and, and uh keep that same uh, level of uh, execution going forward we'll see with north carolina too often it feels like one step forward two steps back at times so we'll just have to see if they could put one front and in, in front of the other going forward yeah looking at the snap counts of a hasek had 31 that's the most on the defensive line which like you said that is not something that we're used to seeing you had a scoop and score by Trey Morrison which I thought was the big play maybe the 
you know, the game was over at that point. Uh, Jason, who flashed? A uh, lot of guys out there. They, they got some young guys in, if not, um, but for a couple snaps, a couple three snaps, Dilworth three, Eccles two, Bingley Jones three, Pender two. Um, I thought Kevin Hester, um, he contributed to the or caused the fumble that um, led to the scoop and score. There, there's some positives here, but like you mentioned earlier, there are also some things that out of the gate were not, were not good. What's your take on overall there? Well, I mean – I thought uh, Murphy was the one that flashed the most, but he's, he's pretty much, uh, he's pretty much always in that, in that uh, position now uh, where he, he just flashes more than anybody else every game uh, up front. Bless you. For those that are listening to this, instead of watching it, uh, I think he sneezed three times. I'm, I'm not sure if that's a jinx or not, but. And he has yep. a, a, ma a masterful use of the mute, the mute button. Yeah. I have exercised the demons. <laughs> this place is clean. So, um, yeah. So getting back to that, I uh, had a little tickle there. Um, the uh, uh, the guy that, that flashed the most was uh, uh, the guy that's been flashing the most pretty much all season. Uh, and that would be, uh, that would be Miles Murphy. Uh, I thought Gray actually played probably the best game he's played uh, overall so far. Uh, he, he, I thought he played well and and has really sort of taken over that position in in some sense. I mean, Asante still got twenty four reps, but uh, I think I think Gray has has actually has been the better player at that position so far this year. Uh, Hester was another guy that I think really, and you mentioned he was in on that fumble uh, forced fumble. Uh, I thought he was he he flashed and was uh, was overall disruptive when he was in there, uh, and I always have my eye on Ritzy when he's in there just because I think he he just continues to show potential uh, and and show the ability to to cause problems. But he was a little quieter in this game. Uh, one other that I, I I think deserves some some notice is Biggers who who got a few pretty significant hits on. There was one. Uh, I mean, he had a couple special teams plays, but he had one uh, play along the sideline where he he took the ribs of the uh, of the of the Duke receiver, and as a former receiver, I, I could I felt that and appreciated the the contact, appreciated the violence that he brought to that, and it didn't look as bad as it was. I can tell you that. Uh, so he was a guy that I, I that that stood out to me as well. Uh, and actually, one one other one that I, I really should bring up right away. I should have I should have put it first, but didn't didn't come to mind immediately. Is Cameron Kelly? Cameron Kelly played his best game at, at, at Carolina in this game. Uh, he 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 really came in and and uh, made a difference on the field in more than one more than one play. I thought he played well overall, uh, and gives them another guy that I mean, if he can play like that the rest of the year, that gives them another guy in the secondary that they can count on. And you know, uh, he had the. Uh, the interception, if I remember correctly, uh, and again made made a pretty big difference in terms of what he was able to bring to the table overall. Led the team in tackles. Yeah, he was reliable in tackling. Uh, what two missed tackles on this in this game? I'm looking at one of them. Now. Unfortunately, I think had to do with the 80 yard touchdown, though. I think, but yeah, uh, he took a bad angle there. Uh, but that wasn't just on him. There were a couple other a couple other guys that kind of didn't do their job on that, and there was 
one in particular, one player who is a, a veteran who really, if I was a, if I was a, the defensive coordinator there or the secondary coach, I would have been really upset with because of the loaf uh, trailing the play where if he'd gotten on his horse and sprinted after the play, he probably makes the tackle and the cutback. And instead he's just jogging and watching. And that to me is unacceptable. There were a couple of uh, examples of that in this game. And I would be having those guys running the, the Keenan stadium bleachers on Monday uh, as a result of that, because you can't, you can't have that, that uh, those little lapses where you, where you become a spectator when the ball's in front of you, you got to sprint after it because you never know if your teammates going to get them to cut back. So, uh, so yeah, there were a couple of those, but yeah, I thought overall Kelly played well. Um, and then Murphy and gray and Hester would be and, and biggers would all be guys that I would, I would give, uh, you know, pat on the back and slap on the helmet, uh, too, in terms of how they played. You know, he was only in on three plays as Tommy mentioned before, but, um, the play by Rara Dilworth, when he, uh, took the angle on Jordan Moore. Um, and got him for no gain. That that was a ridiculous play. You could see, you know, his uh, talent, speed, and instinct. Potential leaps off the screen. You know, it, it, those are traits that you, are impossible to coach. I mean, he's he's a f- true freshman halfway through his freshman year, and he's doing things that uh, fourth year seniors can't do just because they don't have that level of skill. Um, it's impossible to coach, but, uh, like I'm going to look forward to seeing more raw as, as time goes on and hopefully we'll see a little more this year. Yeah. I will say this was, I thought one of Jeremiah Gemmel's worst games in the last couple of years, he, he struggled early. Uh, the, the, the couple long runs by Durant early in the game were on, as far as I could tell, were on, uh, were on Gemmel for, for being slightly out of his gap and, you just can't have that from your your defensive leader. He struggled a little bit in this game. I enjoy seeing uh, team leaders and tackles like with six or seven instead of like 15 like we used to have to watch with Dexter Reed and guys like that back there. It just tells me there's more more guys getting to the ball. And even though it's Duke and even though there's issues, that certainly the potential flashes there. Um, let's wrap this one up. We don't need to really talk terribly long about Duke's win over North Carolina. Like I said, like we said, it, it is expected at this point with Mac Brown and Duke. I don't um, think we need to talk about Duke's win over North Carolina at all. Oh, period. Well, End of story. Yeah, it didn't happen. Rewind, <laughs> delete, edit. Uh, let's talk about the ACC, though. And, Buck, I'll let you get in on here. I mentioned Pitt's win over Georgia Tech. It cracks me up when I'm looking at the ACC division races. All right. Wake Forest, 3-0, and 5-0. Pitt, 1-0, and 4-1. They lead the divisions. Uh, the two Florida schools that were supposed to come into this conference and be a, a boon or have been a drag. No offense, Jason. But coastal chaos, <laughs> coastal chaos, Buck, is not just coastal chaos. It's Atlantic chaos. And quite frankly, it's national chaos with and all it these. Should have been more, it should have been more chaos because Clemson should have lost last night. They got lucky. They are extremely lucky that. Jerkovic didn't play for Boston College and is out, or they would have gotten whipped yesterday. Well, not but, just that, but, I mean, I, did you watch the end of that game? Mm-mm. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, Boston College is on the 12-yard line, first, first and 10 from the 12-yard line. 47 seconds to go, basically. Yeah, absolutely chewing through the Clemson defense that had no answers. And, 
then they lose the game on a snap on a, on a bad snap that goes just a little wide of the quarterback to the left quarterback drops the snap and it rolls right to the, uh, to the Clemson defensive end. And you just go, you've got to be kidding me. Cause the way that that was looking, it looked inevitable that that was going to be a last second score from Boston college and Clemson was going to get beat at home. They should have lost that game. And honestly, I mean, Georgia, uh, Boston college out, outplayed them through most of that game. Clemson, it was a skin of their teeth deal. And oh my goodness. I mean, you talk about really throwing things into chaos. That would have done it. It's crazy. I did not see it. I'll have to check it out, but I, I saw that it should have been that way, but Buck, this is crazy. I, I mean, college football is absolutely insane this year. I think that is a big part of the frustration for the Carolina fan base is like everything's right for the picking, except for Georgia and Alabama. And I know your thoughts on Georgia, um, but it's just wide open. Carolina hadn't been able to take advantage, but I'm not so sure that a lot of those goals still aren't pretty clearly in the picture, but your take. You know, I thought about it this morning a little bit, and uh, there was a time where uh, the term transitive property got debated a bunch uh, on these podcasts and, uh, you know, on message boards and stuff where we would talk about, well, you know, this team almost beat that team and this team lost barely to that team. And so that means that team C is just better than everybody. I mean, it gets crazy, but if you look at that transitive property this year, you see some real craziness. Um, like, uh, earlier this year, when, uh, right after Virginia tech had beaten North Carolina, everybody's saying, well, we don't think Virginia tech is a very good team. You know, uh, they beat North Carolina, but they're just not very good. So, well, they lose by, I think three to West Virginia at West Virginia. And everybody's saying, Oh, that definitely means they're not very good because they lost to West Virginia. Uh, so there can't be a good team. Well, West Virginia lost by three points to Oklahoma at Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's undefeated, uh, ranked sixth in the nation. And you go from team to team to team to team like that. Oregon's number three gets beat by Stanford. Um, UCLA also loses. So no Pac-12 in the, in the uh, playoffs this year either. I, I don't see a way for hardly a Pac-12 team to get into playoffs now. Although anything can happen the way we've seen this season unfold. Uh, Notre Dame gets beat at home by Cincinnati. Cincinnati's got a good team, but how often does Notre Dame lose at home? Well, they uh, might lose a few more times at home. I said before the year, this might be a five loss Notre Dame team. And I still think that, well, it, it may well be, but how often have they lost to a group of five team in South Bend in your lifetime? Uh, not often. So. You know, all these things are just make for an incredibly crazy season. And, you know, we may think Alabama and Georgia are powerhouses, but um, we thought Georgia was a powerhouse when uh, they lost at home to South Carolina a couple of years ago. And South Carolina had beaten nobody. I think North Carolina had beaten them already that year. So uh, this is the craziest year I've ever seen in college football. Who knows how it's all going to turn out. And yeah, that adds a little bit to the frustration for UNC fans, 
but what UNC needs to worry about is UNC, you know, they need to think about themselves and how they get better, not what's happening elsewhere in college football. So, um, if you're frustrated, I think that's understandable, but what North Carolina has to worry about is North Carolina. Jason, how much of those, uh, Pitt versus Wake Forest ACC championship game tickets going to go for in Charlotte. <laughs> and I say it in jest, and it probably could happen or, or most likely would happen at this point. But anyway, the chaos. Well, you, remember how, you remember how oil prices – what happened with oil prices at some point last year? Man, I don't you know how they went, think about that. Oil prices went negative for a while because of the storage. And that might be the situation for, for the ACC <laughs> championship tickets. If it's, if it's the, if it's Pitt versus uh, Wake Forest of, you know, the ACC starts paying live actors to go out there and actually be a Japanese interest TV. rates below zero. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like let's, we got to get some people in the stands here, like going out and, and beating the bushes in, uh, in, in, uh, in Charlotte saying, Hey, you want to watch a game? You just got to cheer a little bit when the cameras are on you. <laughs> that, that might be what's necessary, but man. Yeah. And, and Carolina's got Florida state coming in, Jason, I'll let you in the show talking about that. Uh, uh, we obviously have seen Florida state's issues on full display. Um, but nobody on this board or nobody on this message boards or inside Carolina community or Carolina football community will forget last year. And Max never beaten Florida State. What can we expect this week leading up to it, Jason? Well, you talk about two teams that have underachieved this year, one of which has underachieved very low expectations. <laughs> so uh, they beat know, Syracuse, you, you, though. They did beat Syracuse, which is funny because if you look at the numbers, they should have lost. Syracuse, Syracuse. is not a bad team. Yeah. I don't think Syracuse Syracuse. is a good team. Bad being a relative term. Yeah, I don't think Syracuse is a good team. Let's just put it that way. And frankly, you look at those numbers, and they should have lost to Syracuse. So Syracuse outgained them on a per-play basis, I think it was 6.2 to 5.5. And Florida State turned it over twice to Syracuse's one. You look at those numbers, and Syracuse is going to win about 70% of the time, which is okay. But they've also lost a couple games where they were in the same spot as Syracuse, where they seriously out, I mean, they significantly outgained their opponent and then lost for a variety of reasons in terms of a per play basis. So, you know, they should probably be uh, two and three with a win against Jacksonville State that their their defensive coaching staff, and it ultimately goes to the head coach, had a bit of a, 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 brain aneurysm to uh to be in the coverage that they were in with uh <laughs> with what six seconds left or whatever or 10 seconds left uh i think it was six so you know these are the sorts of things that they're they're not they're not doing all that well down in tallahassee but the thing is this is gonna be an interesting game for a lot of reasons but uh, not 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 uh not least that mac is it's max alma mater and he's never beaten him but that these two teams, they've got a lot of, a lot of weaknesses and they've got some strengths and those line up in ways that are really interesting. I mean, Florida state's strength this year is on the defensive line and being able to stop the run and being able to get after the quarterback and, and, and get guys, you know, get, get hits on the quarterback with what we've seen from North Carolina offensively. That's, that's been a problem. If they, if they can't run the ball, just, you know, 
hand the ball off and go downhill like they did against Virginia, they've, they've struggled on offense some this year. Uh, and they could run the ball last year against Florida state. Right. And, and Florida state's improved up front from what they were last year. So, uh, you know, that's an issue, but Florida state in the secondary has been less than good. And North Carolina has guys that can give them some serious problems, but will Carolina actually execute in the passing game the way that they should? They've, they've not been nails on that all year. So, you know, I think the, 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 the Trump card in this game for Carolina boils down to Carolina has Howell and, and downs. And I think Carolina should be able to get downs into some advantageous matchups. And that may well be what, what decides this game. Uh, but Florida state can't throw the ball. Uh, <laughs> they struggle to run it. They're, you know, it's one of those situations where you look at their offense and you say, what is it exactly that you do? Well, they got a couple backs that, that, that are, that are good backs, but they've, they've struggled a little bit. Uh, they should be the healthiest they've been on the offensive line coming in, coming into this game that they've been since the Notre Dame game. So that should give them some chance. But I mean, I think this is a game where probably the team that scores 28 points wins the game. I mean, I just don't know that, 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 that there's going to be a ton of points in this game, given the way that these teams have, have, have gone. And I do think that if Mac doesn't win this one, I'm not sure when he's going to get that, that elusive win against Florida state. Cause this, this is not a Florida state team that should beat this North Carolina team. That sounds a, you know, I almost can hear the echoes from this same conversation this time last year, uh, Carolina beats Duke. 38-7 does what they're supposed to do to get a win, a lot to clean up. It's still at this point in the season that we didn't expect they would be needing to clean up, and Florida State comes to town. 3.30 in Keenan Stadium next Saturday, or this coming Saturday. It's been the day after podcast. It's always more fun when they win, boys. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, I've been your host, Tommy Ashley. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. Thanks, guys. Hey, both teams I covered actually won this week. You know how long it's been since that happened? Both teams I cover next you, week. Hey, one of them's guaranteed to win. So that's a you're on an impressive run. I must admit. <laughs> on the flip side, one of them's guaranteed to lose. So <laughs> yeah, but that's been happening anyway. <laughs> yeah, guaranteed. Appreciate it, boys. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or. I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.